Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 21st of February. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by Citizens Party Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, urgent cash ban update. For our economic survival, we need a national bank. And Assange case is a test of who are the true freedom fighters. First, urgent cash ban update. Craig, it's all happening, yep. as they say. So I just want to run through a few things because um, the cash ban is coming down to the wire. Today's Friday the 21st. A week from today, the Senate inquiry hands down its report, right? Now, I want to, it's very, very important that we keep the heat up because ignore the idea that the politicians involved in the inquiry are there to give due consideration to the evidence and and um, come up with some opinion based thereon. That's not how it works, right? It's all about um, uh, who's, who are they going to serve? The vested interests led by KPMG and the banks that are demanding this, that we face jail for, for spending our own cash so that they can lock money into the banking system or the public. That's what it comes down to, right? And the public has to have their say and you've got a, a real chance to have a say. But a lot of things have just, I just want to update people on a few things. A week ago today, Valentine's Day, I and a few others went to a protest at a Liberal Party meeting here in Victoria at the Templestowe Bowls Club. We stood outside, I'll show some photos, we stood outside holding up um, posters against the cash ban. Um, yeah, it's on the front page of the Australian Alert Service. Alert. If right. people want a copy, they can call and get a free copy. Yeah, the posters say, uh, Liberal Party policy will send you to jail for spending your cash Ask Michael Sucker about it, and then we had a really good one of um, Chopper Reed uh, in in all his uh, glory saying, "Cash ban, make my day." Like as if he would care that there was a cash ban, right? Um, the late great Chopper Reed. Uh, so we weren't able to go inside, but all these pe all these Liberal Party members in their you know Lexuses and Mercedes Benzes and all this kind of stuff um, drove past and all got to see that. What was extraordinary is this was a this was a meeting hosted by Michael Sucker. Um, he stitched it up to make sure no one could ask questions about the cash ban, right? But there were people inside who have indicated that it's quite remarkable how um, many people still in the Liberal Party didn't know about this law and were no. shocked about it, yeah. right? Uh, including politicians, Robbie. Including politicians. No, for sure, for sure. Um, now, Michael Sucker had a meeting this week, the first meeting he's ever had with a constituent on the cash ban this week, and he claimed to this constituent that, Oh, you know, we're not. It's not like we're trying to hide this. We wish, you know, we're not. We're not getting the media to cover this up. But there's been a little bit of reporting, but nowhere near what it, what it deserves. And the, the constituent, Sean, said to him, "Well, I think you've got some kind of a power to stop the media reporting because they haven't been reporting." And then Sean hit him with, "And you haven't been reporting it in your newsletter." Mm -hmm. And of course, that's true. Sucker has a monthly newsletter as the member of parliament in that area, and he's at no stage in his monthly newsletter has he report, announced he's supposedly saying this cash ban will save us from criminal gangs. He hasn't announced that in his newsletter, right? He's kept mm. it right out of it. So, you know, they, they, they are trying to do this underhanded. Um, now, but it's starting to come through. I want to play a quick clip now of Insiders, the Insiders program on ABC last Sunday, where at the very end of it, David Crow, the Sydney Morning Herald journalist, who has reported one article on this, had this to say. One of the government's um, 
items on its agenda is a law that says you can't pay for anything with more than $10,000 in cash. I don't think, you know, it hasn't made huge headlines, but it's causing a lot of angst among liberals. It's a libertarian issue for some that it's, this is a restriction on your ability to pay with large amounts of money. And I think I can't, you know, the government's sticking to its guns on that, but they're getting a lot of unrest from liberals saying, drop that bill. And it's something where if somebody wants to cross the floor, that's an opportunity. Now, that, one of the things that clip tells you, Craig, is all those journalists there were very aware of this, yeah, of course they right? Um, but Crow's right. This is something that, as we said last week, the nationals should be crossing the floor on. That's who he's referring to there. There's plenty of nationals who've spoken out against this. Now's the time to cross the floor. I want to tell a quick story, though. This is, this is hilarious. Again, going to the first point about you know, not enough people knowing. As, you know, they, we've, done, we've done a very good job. Um, there was a report come through this week of a high school student here in Melbourne who had to write a speech. Yeah. And... He wanted to write something different than everybody else because everybody else seemed to be writing on climate change as, as the, 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 the main topic of the day. So he, his mum suggested, well, why don't you write on the cash ban? So he wrote a speech on the cash ban, gave it to his teacher. His teacher couldn't believe it and demanded um, sources to back up what he was, this, this student was saying. He went and got the sources. They had a school function where he delivered the speech at the school function Right in front of all the parents of all the other kids, along with they, they delivered their speeches, he delivered his. He got a standing ovation from all the parents, most of whom did not know about this. And that's a, that's a private school here in Melbourne, yeah. right where that happened. Right, so this is an example of we've been fighting a, a, a fierce battle in what has been mostly a media blackout. Right, Com compared to the in con um, in in relation to the the feeling out there in the community among people who know, the media has barely touched this. So you know our 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 job. The viewers here who have been part of this fight, your role has been incredibly important, the work you've been prepared to do. All right, here's the marching orders, though. We've got a week to do this, right? So I want to emphasise two things. Next week, Parliament is sitting. And when Parliament sits, both Senate and House representatives, they're all there in the one building. Mm -hmm. Next week, I don't care how many calls you've already made, you've got to make them again and again, but make them into their parliamentary offices, their 0262 numbers in Canberra. Right. Call all your senators again and again next week in Canberra when they are there, because those calls are amplified. You want people walking down the corridor, especially on the Senate side, and all they hear from the officers as they're walking past is the phone going off, because that is what's going to, you know, especially to the Labor Party, who are going to be involved in finalising this report, it's going to remind them that if they do some kind of a dirty deal with the government, to just to amend this into some kind of what they think is acceptable form, only which will only save Scott Morrison's butt, right? They're selling out the Australian people and they'll be blamed for it. Yep. Someone informed us this week that he's calling up Labor senators and he's saying to them, how's your cash ban bill going? And they say straight away, that's not our bill. And he goes, yes, it is if you vote for it. And that's the message they have to get, right? So make those calls next week. But now, a special appeal to our Tasmanian viewers. This is incredibly important. If you're a Tasmanian watching this show, um, Jackie Lambie, the, the independent senator from Tassie, has put, put up a website, we'll put it on the screen, where she's surveying the, her constituents, which is all the state, on how she should vote on this cash ban. Get on that website immediately and fill it out to, so that she gets a message from you to vote no. It, you must do that and share that with everyone in Tasmania. No, this is only for Tasmanians. Don't go to the website if you're not from Tasmania. She announced it, Craig, on, the, on, on Facebook, right? And we might even scroll through a little bit of these comments on the screen if we can do that technically. But um, uh, so 
on Facebook, of course, that's, that can be viewed around the world. Mm-hmm. She's got well over a thousand comments. As I, this morning, when I saw it, she had thirteen hundred comments overnight. Hundred percent against it. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. That needs to be translated into the into the website as well. Yeah, I think Robbie, this this show goes out all over Australia. You know, West Australia, Adelaide. Um, you know, yep. on, in Victoria on television. So, if anyone's got relatives yep. in Tassie. Call Let them. them know that this is happening because we're going to. You know, Jackie wants to hear. She's a senator from Tasmania. She wants to hear from Tasmanians. So therefore, if you've got relatives in Tasmanians, friends in Tasmanians, company or colleagues yep. in Tasmanians that are concerned about the cash ban, let them know that this is happening. It's a great opportunity. It won't just send a message to Jackie Craig. No, no, no. There's 12 senators in that little state. 12. They will all understand how much opposition there is to it based on what Jackie's doing. Right, so hit it and hit it hard. Anyway, let's take a break because when we come back, we're going to talk about our, our very serious economic challenge we're facing. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. For our economic survival, we need a national bank. Well, Craig, I've put an alternative headline here. If we want manufacturing, we need a national bank. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about. Just before we do that, I want to highlight something. Um, we, we often point to the interests of the people show that John Adams and Martin North do. They've just put up a show that I, want, I recommend people watch. It's about the, the repo crisis in the United States, which some people have dubbed the repocalypse. And these two people have expertise in the banking system and economics. Together, they are actually putting their reputation on the line to say, this is, actually, this is the crash having started. Right, because if you go back to 2008, what happened with the collapse of Lehman Brothers has actually started well before then. And yeah. this repo thing is serious. The, the Fed has been bailing out the system like crazy in a way where they, through the repo method, they don't have to disclose who, which banks are receiving it. We know there's big banks that are right on their knees there, and they, if, if the public knew, they'd probably bring down the system. So that's actually, I want to point that out because that's the financial crisis everyone's always looking for. Right? And that's, just, that's serious and it could be happening now. Because the last UFC, Robbie, started 12 months before the actual yeah. collapse of Lehman Brothers and so forth. But as you know, Craig, we don't look at the economy from the no. standpoint of the financial system first. We look at it from the standpoint of the real economy first. And we've always operated under the assumption that the financial crisis that we've been having is the, is the financial system catching up with the real crisis. Most people think economy equals money, Robbie, yeah. and it doesn't. Money is the last thing the economy has to do with. It's the least relevant part. I mean, it exactly. has a role. But it's, you know, you're crazy if you think that's what's primary. So what we're talking about is what's really happening in Australia, and, you're gonna, and, and it's the state of our manufacturing, right? And this week, um, what's happened, General Motors has pulled the plug on Holden, even on further sales into Australia, yeah. right? Saying that our market's too small and whatever. Now, and this broke all their promises that when they ended manufacturing here and, and, and whatnot. But now, this is both symbolically and actually devastating, right? Symbolically, because of course, General Motors was the first one, the first big car, we built a domestic car industry around um, this company. And what's happening systematically, and it's been happening for decades, is we're being forced back to a, the the, uh, agrarian colonial plantation free trade economy we had before World War II, right? We're, We're becoming a raw materials quarry and a financial casino, and this, is the real economic crisis in Australia, the state of this. We're going to play a video now because I want people to understand that this is 2020. Um, We can see the promises that were made when this was done to our manufacturing haven't come true, right? The, um, uh, the, The promises of free trade have left us with sawdust in our mouths. 
but the architects can't see that. So the video I want to play is back in 2013, Paul Keating, the great Paul Keating, did an interview with Kerry O'Brien on, and it was, a, it was a four part series on the ABC and it was about, basically about his political career. And in the third part, Kerry O'Brien raised to Paul Keating what happened to manufacturing and listen to the, where Kerry O'Brien's coming from in his questions and listen to where Paul Keating's coming from in his answers. Looking now at the state of manufacturing today, the rust belts around the major cities, industries like cars and steel and shipbuilding still in trouble. So many skills lost, jobs exported to Asia. Are you still sure it was the right thing to do the way you did it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it just it advanced as donkey's years. I mean, imagine if we'd been trying to hold up. Do you know, Kerry, the price of... Uh, the, the average rate of protection on a motor car, I think, when I became treasurer, was about uh, 78% or 80%. I mean, you know how poor quality the Australian cars were? They were double their price. So ordinary working men and women were being asked to pay twice the price to put a car around themselves of, of, of very moderate quality. And that was, a, that was also true of shoes, shirts, underwear, um, TCF, clothing, textile and footwear. But many of those working people were now staring at lost jobs. No, many of those working yeah. people in factories and yeah. various jobs, skilled, semi-skilled, unskilled, yeah. gone. Yeah, gone. You know what they found? A better job a week later in a growing economy with employment growth. We got them off the factory floor. The aim was not to leave them doing repetitive jobs on the factory floor, but to get them off the factory floor doing better professional jobs out in the big service economy of Australia. I mean, all these people got picked up. You, you make it sound so simple. A week later, they had another job. No, well... Uh, uh, you uh, really no, think that's how no, it no, works? No, no. I mean, the labour market in Australia had grown by 25%. We'd created 1.7 million jobs. And so people would... Adjustments in manufacturing. We took a lot some, of those jobs were in totally different yeah, but they didn't, sectors of the economy. A lot of those jobs were in the service sector. But exactly. So what would you want to be? Line up at seven thirty in a blue collar or work in the service sector? And people said, "Thank you, I'll take the service sector." Robbie, that's disgusting. I mean, this is a Labor, former Labor Prime Minister, Labor, Labor, you know, spitting on blue collar workers, spitting on them, yeah. saying, "Oh, it's better off you not be a blue collar worker, actual worker that may be doing something in the real economy. You've got to become a white collar worker and just play with speculation." Oh, the oh. same speculation, Robbie, has now brought us to the point that we have a, a, an overinflated mortgage yeah. market. We've got banks that are up to their hilt in debt; they can't survive the the, um, the, the, the the overinflated housing market. So here we have an absolute catastrophe, and this this is what's and the, and the services jobs, he, he used this term repetitive. Ask people in the services sector, Craig, there's plenty of repetitive services jobs. Oh, Hello, yeah. can, I, can I call you up and bother you at dinner time about your electricity oh, bill? No, th those <laughs> jobs have been outsourced to the Philippines, right? Really. Well, that's, that's, that, Sorry. that's true. That was the no, first step was true. to have the service sector, now it's been shipped out overseas. Or, or there's so much in the telephone area you know, that people have got to do, or you know, all this kind of stuff. This, and we're not... So anyway, hold your reins, let's come back to you in a minute. I want to point out some of the other obvious problems with this. There's a paradox that's come from all this, Craig, and the paradox is that the cheap imports that replaced our manufacturing came with a high cost of living. Figure that one out, right? And the problem is, it's because, because we weren't manufacturing, which is creating wealth, but we're doing services, which is just moving it around, mm -hmm. right? And sending out raw materials, which is robbing us of a lot of jobs when you don't value add to that. Um, we stopped being able to pay our way. And the proof is the record household debt Australians now have and the record foreign debt. I want to put it, I'll put it on the screen, a chart of foreign debt. 
The foreign debt of Australia skyrocketed on the back of this destruction of our manufacturing, all these cheap imports. We couldn't pay for them. Mm -hmm. We're lucky that we've got creditors around the world that are willing to keep letting us spend on the credit card. We're not actually that lucky, Robbie. Well, that's true. No, that's, that's right. What, what happens is we're building up for a crisis that when it comes will be as bad, if not worse, than anything we've ever seen around the world. Mm. Um, the, let's talk about how we got the car industry, though, Craig. The, we had a car industry that was never based on the idea of a free market. And I want to give a little bit of the history. We put out a press release on this, and, it's, and there's an article in the alert service that people can call in and read if they haven't got a copy before. It was based on the vision that the government had, the, the Labor government at the time, what Australia should be. And it should be a manufacturing country. Company, country. What had happened was in World War II, at the start of the war, we couldn't manufacture anything hardly, right? We were completely unprepared to defend ourselves from the Japanese. In the space of three years, Curtin and Chifley with Essington Lewis, and you've done speeches about Essington Lewis, the chairman of BHP that they recruited, they turned it around. We became this manufacturing powerhouse. We had to. We had That's to. Right. We did not have a choice. Because of the war. Because of the war. I mean, we were cut off, you know, cut off from all capability of being able to be protected by someone else. Right? We're in the same situation today, Robbie. Well, no, and no they difference. wanted to. Um, so the, the war is always an imperative. But Chifley said the vision, well, why can't we do this for the peace? And that was, that was their, their, their motivation. They wanted a car industry to consolidate, to be a centre of our manufacturing capacity. And one of our, it's, worth, it's explained in the article a bit, Craig, part of our capacity was in machine tools. The tools that make the tools, we could do anything in Australia, literally anything. General Motors was prepared to make cars here, and, and when they, they said, yeah, we'll make cars in Australia. They weren't prepared to invest, though. So from a financial decision, they weren't prepared to do it. What did the government do? They got the Commonwealth Bank to invest. Our national bank put up the money that made it possible. General Motors got involved. Ford got involved. By the 70s and 80s, we had five manufacturers in Australia. So much for a small market, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of, we had a highly skilled workforce, and this is the thing that they, that they miss. Um, so, Craig, my question for you is this. Isn't the car industry an example where the public can recognise that something's important, but the market doesn't? And isn't this why we need a national bank to invest in the things the market doesn't recognise? As I said before, Robbie, economy is reviewed as money these days. That's crap. We look at the economy as something that supports the population. Yep. And this is the difference between money and credit, like the credit was supplied by the Commonwealth Bank. Credit is designed to support the future. Chifley and Curtin had an idea of developing the future. They wanted a car industry, so they had... There's, this a, there's, there's potential, but the, the wealth is in the future and the credit... Therefore, the credit there. invests in the future, and that's the big difference. The money, money is what corporations are interested in making, the short-term balance sheets, the profits and so forth. Credit, which should be governed by the government of the country can be issued through national banks for the future of the country. Now, you know, Curtin and Chifley had a whole raft of post-war development projects. It could have been funded through the Commonwealth Bank. Unfortunately, the, most of those got shelved because of the change of governments and so forth after the war. But the, the, the idea here, Robbie, with, with, with credit creation, literally, is that you're creating the future. So if and a government, private, private banks create credit, but they don't invest in this No, stuff. no, no, they don't. It's up because to the, it's the public to say, if this is important... We need to, and I always love it. the example of the of the, the 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 first shipping fleet that we bought out of out of London. You know, because we had a major problem yep. with uh, you know getting goods into our country, huge inflationary prices. Billy Hughes bought uh, twelve uh, you know ships on a phone call from the, the leader of the Commonwealth Bank at that time, Dennis and Miller, on a phone call. Yep. Commonwealth Bank guaranteed twelve million pound, and they bought uh, fifteen ships overnight. 
Craig, people can read more about this, what you just said, in the manual that yeah. we've put out on this, but we're going to have to take a break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. And just to be clear for what we were discussing before the break, we have lots of literature on this. We've done huge amounts of original research and we've published it all. So you can call in and get copies of what we've published. There's a manual here. Um, it's got a long, lengthy title, but the gist of it is Time for Glass-Steagall Banking Separation and National Bank, which will give you more details on what Craig just said. And if you haven't received a free copy of it yet, you have the right to call in and get a free copy of the Australian Alert Service where we elaborate on a weekly basis what's in the um, CEC report. The Citizens Report, sorry. Still formally C We're still formally CEC. After okay. 30 years, it takes a bit. It takes a bit. Okay. Um, so now, let's quickly, on, on this final subject, Assange is a test case of who are the true freedom fighters. And Craig, we wanted to highlight this because something, yeah, no, uh, excellent development has happened. Um, this last week, Andrew Wilkie, the independent member in Tasmania, and George Christensen, the National Party member for um, Dawson, Dawson around Mackay, have gone to London on their own coin to fight to save Julian Assange from extradition. And I argued on Twitter, they shouldn't have had to pay for this themselves. Right? They, if the Australian government is going to betray this guy, this is a, they're parliamentarians, this is official business, and we should be supporting them on this. Now, George, uh, on, on Sky News, um, Wilkie highlighted that the, the, the parliamentary group in Australia is growing. It's now 14 strong. It's called the Bring Assange Home Parliamentary Group. In the UK, they met... the. Um, uh, Labor leader Jeremy Corbyn, who's going to be the outgoing Labor leader. But of course, Jeremy Corbyn and, and, and Wilkie have a unique uh, uh, sort of role in, in immediate world history here, and I want to highlight that in a second. Corbyn raised Assange, has been raising Assange's case in Parliament, but because Wilkie and, and, and Christensen came along, it was, it was actually a flurry of activity. I'll put on the screen, there was a, a press conference where it was absolutely packed, the media finally paid attention. Um, this is how important it is when Australia actually gets involved on behalf of one of their people. Um, uh, Corbyn raised it in Parliament, and it just happens to coincide with an issue where um, a little while ago there was a US Embassy of official, a woman, who people suspect might be a CIA agent. She fled the United Kingdom after driving in a country lane and hitting and killing a, a young motorcyclist, right? So she killed him, and she fled the country so as not to get in trouble. Britain's asking to extradite her and the US government's refusing, right? Mm. So Corbyn said in, in Parliament, here's, they're refusing our request. We're expected to hand over Julian Assange. Isn't this unbalanced? And John, George, uh, Boris Johnson admitted in Parliament it was unbalanced, yeah. right? So um, that's, that's been a useful way to get attention on this. But I just want to talk about the two guys involved, or, or the three guys involved, actually. But think about who Corbyn and, and Wilkie are. These two people made their names more than anything else opposing the Iraq war, Right? If you ranked politicians in the world by credibility, they have to be at the top because that war, I keep coming back to it, is one of the, this was the war crime of the 21st century. It set off almost all the evils we've been dealing with ever since, including in terrorism, etc. Um, that the ISIS, the way we've been dealing with it, those guys, those guys should be listened to instead. Um, they're fighting these, these lonely battles. We need to get behind them. I also want to add, it's no coincidence that Wilkie in Australia, Wilkie and Christensen have been two of the most outspoken politicians against the cash ban. Right? Mm. So these are the true freedom fighters. And ask yourself, there's a lot of people in Parliament that are economic libertarians. right? Oh, we believe in freedom, especially in the Liberal Party. Where are they? Where are they on the cash ban? Where are they on, especially an issue like yeah, Julian Assange? Wilkie and Corbyn tried to stop the war that led to the war crimes that Assange exposed for which he's now in jail. 
And I think right. that Robbie the, the, the Assange is, is a very, very strong, you know, spotlight on what has to actually be fought against. Uh, for sure. This is a moral issue for Australians. We've got to get behind it. Anyway, out of time, Craig. Thanks mm -hmm. for joining us. Yeah, thanks thanks for to the viewer. Call Jackie Lambie. Call parliamentarians. Mm -hmm.